Shields. It's so nice to be introduced by Brent. One of the first few times I really got to interact with the Shieldses was we had like our United Christmas party at your guys' house. Do you remember that way back then? And well, Evan, you, like you, you were about like maybe yay high or so, and now you're over me. But you just kept shooting me with that dang Nerf gun. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I'm very happy to be here. I've said this like maybe the past couple times I've been since we came Blaine here, but you guys just have re something really special here, and just want to say like thank you for uh, inviting me, and thank you for inviting Shane and Abby to be here. We've been jokingly calling it like the reunion tour almost, <laughs> because it's been a while since we've all done something together like this. Uh, so it's just it's like truly special, and I'm just glad to be here uh, to kick off, well, sort of kick off uh, this series that you guys are doing. Uh, and I believe, I mean, I don't think I'm mistaken because Empty texted me it, but Tyler told me that you guys are going to be going through this new series called uh, Son of God. Uh, essentially, you guys are going to be taking this little walk or this little journey through the book of Hebrews. Uh, so I'm just very glad to be able to be a part of it uh, because, A, it's nice to give Tyler a break every once in a while after he knocked it out of the park uh, last week. Uh, so the guy needs some rest, and I'm just glad to be able to give a little bit of that to him. Um, but in it being the series of the Son of God, uh, we're going to be walking through Hebrews, like I said. And the book of Hebrews is something kind of different in the rest of the Bible because it's a book that's addressing uh, the Jewish people. Uh, the, the author of it sort of like debated who it might be. Uh, but it's addressing the Jewish people in this church of Jesus followers who are coming from a background of uh, a Jewish faith and being like the people of Israel. So basically, it's addressing a lot of the different things that they're coming from and just a lot of the patterns and sort of rules that they've come from that they've had to abide by in the past. But now they're sort of walking into this new life following Jesus and learning what that means to follow Jesus instead of living by the law and following a lot of legalism and all of these things instead of just having a true faith in a single Savior who has brought them salvation. So, in opening up uh, that we're talking about the Son of God, we're talking about Jesus, uh, I thought it would be fitting just to start off with the basic question. We've all asked it sort of like at some point in our life, whether when we were a kid or when we are at some point in our adulthood, uh, but who is Jesus to you? Uh, a ton of answers can come to mind when you think of this question. Uh, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to my friends? Who is Jesus to my family? Who is Jesus to you? And we can give all the different sort of Sunday school stories that we learned of Jesus uh, as we're maybe when we were a kid or maybe like when we first started coming to church and the things we were hearing about who he was. And like, who... Who knows whatever story you might be thinking of with who is Jesus to you. I mean, I have, I've spent a fair share in kids' place, uh, so I mean, like, hello, McCarthy's. You remember the good old days. Please do. Uh, I've had Evan in kids' place. I've had McCarthy's. It's been a wild ride seeing you guys all grown up now, but there's all sorts of different things you can think of from kids' place. Like, I know the curriculum that we're going with, some of the videos, like, the stories are done in, like, little paper bag puppet things. So, like, that could be the image that's coming to some of your minds. I know when I asked myself the question, like, I had a little chuckle to myself because for some reason that was one of the first things that came to mind where I thought, who is Jesus to me? And I thought of, like, the 
the little lesson I gave like a couple weeks back <laughs> in Sunday school. So I was like, oh, okay, so Jesus is a paper bag to me. That's great. Uh, but no, truly, we could think a ton of who he is. He's this, he's that, and we can tack all sorts of labels to him, like he's the son of man, he's the son of God. Uh, and we can sort of get in this habit of just regurgitating, I know it's a gross word, but regurgitating the gro like just the basic things that we've heard about Jesus and just sort of letting them spill out with really not having much attachment to the things we're saying about who Jesus is. Like they can just become words to us, or they can just become phrases or things we've learned to say. Uh, there's that term of Christianese, like when someone asks us a question about Jesus, we sort of like give the basic answer, like, yeah, that, he did this in the Bible. Which, of course, the things he did in the Bible were important, but it's the importance comes from our attachment to it. If we're truly believing it, if we're truly believing who we say Jesus is, who we know Jesus to be. So it's a good question to ask yourself whether you're, you're a Christ follower or not. Maybe you're just figuring things out. Uh, but whether you're five years old or maybe you're 50 years old, it's a good question to ask yourself because it's something that can consistently matters throughout your entire life. But we're looking into Hebrews, and uh, it actually opens with a similar statement of just making sure you're cemented into what you know about Jesus and who he is. And Hebrews 2, it opens with this statement of the author addressing uh, the importance of holding to the truth of what we know and what we've heard of the gospel. And it says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift way. And the context where he's saying this, of course, like it's the Jewish people who have like recently come to follow Jesus, and he's wanting them to really think about and hold on to the things that they've learned and heard about Jesus, because once they start to sort of loosen their grip on who Jesus is in their lives, they start to sort of like fall back into their old ways of doing things. They start to fall back into solely focusing on the law of God, or the Torah, if you will, in following and expressing their faith simply through that instead of a faith in Jesus. So, similarly, today, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if anyone here has a Jewish background, but we can drift back into our old ways as well, and whatever that might be. It could be uh, maybe being a workaholic, could be maybe some sort of, like, uh, habit, addiction, or hang-up. could be any of these things. And we can sort of slowly drift away if we don't consistently remind ourselves who God, who Jesus truly is to us if we aren't holding on to what we know of the gospel. So, in us sort of figuring out, well, sort of reminding us ourselves of who Jesus is, uh, I thought it would be fitting if I just read through a little bit of Isaiah and what they talk about who Jesus is. And mind you, Isaiah being written long before Jesus actually came into the world. But Isaiah 53, 2-6 says, this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was a basic everyday guy. Just looked like every single one of us. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. 
and he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Because he hang, hung out with like the outcasts, and he got sort of rejected by the religious elite of the day. Because who was he? He wasn't anyone special. He didn't look the part. He didn't look the part of this messiah, this messiah that they were expecting. So surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So basically everything that was supposed to befall on us because it's written maybe a hundred times in the Bible that the punishment of sin is death and all of these awful things. But instead of that coming upon us, it came upon Jesus and that is what bought us grace and forgiveness and redemption from anything that we might have ever done, anything that we might have ever will, what we will do. It was freely given. Jesus not being anyone too particularly special looking, was wholly special because he had a love of his father and he had a love for his people. So the main point that I'm trying to get to this week, it's something pretty simple and <laughs> like it's just right to the point, but in uh, us exploring who Jesus is, the main point is that Jesus is salvation. Super simple. You've probably heard it in church a million times, but if you want to walk away from this morning knowing something, it's that simple thing. That Jesus is salvation. It's not more difficult than that. It's not more complicated than that. It simply is that Jesus is salvation. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to make yourself right enough with God. He simply is giving it to all of us. So he doesn't care what you did last night. He doesn't care what you did last week, three years ago, five years ago, what you're planning on doing today. His salvation is for you. His grace is for you. His love is for you in all of these things. So in the main characteristic of Jesus that we're looking at today, being that he is salvation, um, it, it actually continues to address this in Hebrews. Uh, since Jesus is the founder of our faith, sacrificed himself and he redeemed us all. And Hebrews 2 says this. 2.9, sorry. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The punishment we are all supposed to receive, he did it for us. Because that he in Hebrews, they're addressing sort of like a little bit of the law and how it worked. And in the Israelite culture, in the Jewish culture, normally you have to sacrifice an animal, you like kill a little baby lamb to cleanse yourself of sin because the wages of sin is death. So you killed something in your place to sort of cover yourself for salvation, to be saved, really, or if we want to consider it in those terms, but it's more in the repayment of sin. But in this, the writer of Hebrews is saying that instead of us having to do that, the one who was perfect, Jesus, who hadn't sinned in his life, was 
put on the cross as he died, he took upon any sort of suffering that we would experience so that we wouldn't have to. So that he might taste death for everyone in our stead. So, Jesus became lowly so that we might find redemption in his sacrifice. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because he did so much for us without us even asking. And because of that, I think we get so focused on just how, oh, we're bad people, we did all these bad things, like, so Jesus saved us. But the truth of the matter of the fact is, sure, but then looking past that, there is joy in salvation. There is celebration in salvation. Salvation isn't just God offering us a get-out-of-jail-free card necessarily. Instead, he is offering us salvation being an invitation into abundant life. An abundant life not just being in the quantity of it and us going to having eternal life or anything like that. In having abundant life, he's actually offering us the better quality of life. He's offering us to live a joy-filled life, a hope-filled life, one full of peace and restoration and redemption and joy and celebration. He wants us to be happy with the things that he's gotten us. He wants us to be so excited with the things that we've received that so many other people are like, wow, they're not just sad all the time and <laughs> looking at themselves as bad people, but they're actually excited because they're more focused on who Jesus is continuing to shape them to be. So we live a better quality of life on earth because of what Jesus has done. He's brought us salvation not just for eternity, but for us here right now. He's brought us salvation. We get to live that out in our daily lives. And there's a couple reasons why the quality of life is improved through the salvation of Jesus, and it's addressed in this chapter of Hebrews, and that brings me to my, well, sort of first sub-point, if you want to get technical about it. But that Jesus restored our family in the sense of he has restored the people of the kingdom of God he has invited all to enter in. He has restored the people of Israel through his sacrifice, and he has invited uh, the Gentiles and the Jews, which I, don't, I personally don't have any connections to the people of Israel in my bloodline, but that's because I'm a gentle, Gentile, he invited me, if you want to get the real technical terms out. <laughs> but he has restored our family. Jesus actually calls us brothers and sisters, and he considers us uh, as family. And has extended an invitation uh, to all people into this family where anyone can be known, seen, and valued. Anyone can have a place. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter what you've done. But you have a place in this family. So it actually says it like this in Hebrews 2.11, that both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, both the one who makes people holy and the ones who are made holy. So Jesus and the rest of us. He calls us, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He calls us his family. He calls me his brother. He calls my mom his sister. I mean, let's not think about that like weird complication because we're thinking about in the kingdom of God terms. Uh, that's a little awkward. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Um, but so he considers us his family. He calls us his brothers and his sisters. Let's not focus on that anymore, Mom. Um, <laughs> but he calls us his family, and that is something that, that if 
Jewish people, they would sort of have to still be working through and coming to faith with Jesus because it wasn't just the people of Israel who were considered God's people or God's family or God's kingdom. It was everyone. It wasn't just his chosen people. Instead, Jesus died on the cross so that everyone would be chosen. Each and every person, doesn't matter your background, like I said, doesn't matter what you've done, will do, ever uh, in your lifespan, you've chosen. So, I don't have any ties to that lineage, but I can still appreciate the things that he has done. doesn't mean that the Old Testament has less value. If anything, it's just more encouragement to us of the things that he has seen his people walk through. Because I don't know if you've read the Bible, but there's some awful things that can happen in it. But despite all the awful things that happen even in this holy book called the Bible, he still calls us his beloved children. And that's what salvation truly is. That we can be awful people, and yet he calls us into a life, an abundant life. He calls us into joy, peace, hope, love, and he has a place for us, each and every single one of us. So, the true gift about being called into this family, though, and just to give tangible examples, is that us as the church, or the kingdom of God, or his family, whatever you want to, what phrase you want to use for this, it's a joy to be a part of this family, because when people like Shane and Abby, or our friends Alex and Taryn, when they come back into town, we get to celebrate with them, we get to celebrate the things that God has been doing in and through their lives. We get to celebrate uh, Alex and Taryn's kids, Zion, who they just have welcomed into our family. And we also get to celebrate friends like our friends like Ashley and Mikey, who have just welcomed their first child into our family as well. I mean, obviously, their immediate family, but we get to welcome someone else into the kingdom of God. And we get to live our daily lives like this, celebrating all the highs, being a part of one another's lives, checking in on one another. We get to do all these things together. But then, alongside that, we know that God has called us not to do life alone. He's called us to be this family, to share each other's burdens as well. Not just be together for all the good things that are happening, but then also help each other shoulder burdens when all the bad things are happening as well. Um, Dad, I'm going to put you on the spot, but <laughs> like for instance, in the last couple like couple months, like my dad has gone through uh, this experience with his heart and having to get surgery done on his heart, and we've just been able to experience the love of the people around us as they bring us meals, as they lift us up in prayer, as they join us to make sure that we have everything that we need, and that is what being a part of the family and the of God is like. That's what being part of the kingdom of God is like. We get to shoulder each other's burdens, help us through the valleys, but then we also got, get to celebrate and worship and experience joy with each other on the mountaintops. It is truly a blessing to be in the kingdom of God. It is truly a blessing to be a part of this heavenly family, not just in the sense of eternity, but even as we're on earth and we experience the hardships, but we also experience the big joys, the big wins, and we just get to worship God together through all of that. And Jesus, Jesus models this all for us. We see it in the Gospels. We see it in his life. 
we see him being honest, transparent, supportive, and joyful uh, to all of his disciples, to the people they come across. Uh, when his friend dies, Jesus weeps. I mean, he's Jesus, of course, so he brings his friend back to life. But <laughs> he still is there with his people mourning the loss of a friend. But, and all of that to say is, this building that we're in, this isn't the family. The family of God is before service when people are coming together and they're praying together. They're praying over things going on in their lives. Uh, the family of God is coming together and checking in on someone who they've heard is having a rough go of it or a rough experience, uh, and that's truly hard. The family of God is when we all get up and we leave out of here. It's the families that are getting together and having lunch at the Rustic Fork or going to the little burrito place down the way and just being together. That is the family of God, just living our daily lives together in support of one another and in community with one another, lifting each other up, shouldering each other's burdens, uh, and praying for one another and worshiping together. That is the family of God that he has brought us into. So Jesus is salvation because he has restored our family. He's restored our collective group of people. He's restored us in being together. But not one person in this family is perfect. He sees us as worthy, but not any of us is perfect. Uh, but every individual person is special in God's heart. Uh, and that brings us to my final point of the morning, in that Jesus bought our freedom. See, he was able to restore our family through his sacrifice. He was able to restore our family through salvation. But he restored our family because he bought our individual freedom from sin and death. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 explains it like this. Since the children, again, children is another family term, all of us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, a lot of like a lot of sin that is committed in our lives is done sort of inadvertently out of fear because we pursue things selfishly and for personal gain uh, because we have a fear that we might not have enough by the time we get to the end of our life. So a lot of sin is done out of a fear of death. And the thing is about Jesus doing the sacrifice is that he first saw that we were flesh and blood, so he was like, okay, if I want to be with them, I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be flesh and blood, too. I'm going to be lower than the angels, and I'm going to be with my people. And then he was like, now that I'm with them, I know what their lives are truly like, because I'm living a normal human life with them. I mean, not quite normal, since he's, you know, Jesus. But I'm going to live this life with them, experience what they experience, and know what they've gone through. And then... I'm going to free them from the ultimate thing that has ever held them back, ever will held them, hold them back. And I'm going to free them from the slavery of fear of death. And 
one of my favorite worship songs, uh, simply called No More Slave, No Longer Slaves, but it says we're no longer slaves to fear, we're children of God. It, it announces that any sort of sin that surrounds us or any sort of fear that surrounds us, Jesus has already declared victory over it. He has already freed us. He has already bought our freedom through what he has done. But that's the interesting thing about the freedom of Jesus is because it's not like a freedom that you see like around the world where if you see like some sort of like human trafficking ring like broken up, like you, you see that freedom. But the freedom of Jesus isn't really seen because we, none of us have seen with our eyes Jesus get crucified on the cross. Instead, the freedom of Jesus is something that you have to choose experience. You have to choose to step into his freedom. It's a process of learning how to do that. I'm not going to say that that's not complicated, but sometimes you have to learn how to let go of the things that you are holding on to, any sort of fears that you are holding on to, and step into freedom. The wonderful thing is that it's free. I mean, it's kind of in the word freedom, but it's free. He has bought it for us. He's freely given it to us. Because that's just who he is. He brings freedom. And I might just be preaching to myself here, but in the last year, when the whole world basically stopped, and the Fire Nation attacked, no, that's not the right thing. But the whole world stopped. I got caught up <laughs> in the world just being on pause. So all too often in the last year, I found myself sort of putting my faith on pause. I was just figuring that, oh, yeah, not, not much is going on in the world, so I guess not much is going on in the sense of Jesus. So I was sort of just like, I was slipping away in the sense of a lot of the people he's addressing are slipping away into legalism and striving more to earn salvation. But for me, I sort of was slipping away into the opposite direction and just simply not doing much at all. Because if choosing the freedom of Jesus is a choice, there was days where I wasn't even acknowledging that I was having to, that I had to choose freedom. So, I don't know if anyone else was sort of in that boat in this last year, but that's the thing about his freedom, that it's a choice, but it's probably going to be the single most powerful choice you'll ever make in your life. And, I mean, it's already 11 o'clock, so I'll start to land the plane here a little bit, but I just want to bring us back to the question that I started with at the beginning of the morning. Who is Jesus to you? There we go. Yes. Amen. No, like, who is Jesus to you? And I'm going to invite Shane up because we're going to have a time for communion. Um, but who is Jesus to you? Have you experienced the family that he's invited you into? Have you experienced uh, the truth and joy of the freedom that he has brought you? Can you say all these things in your life? Can you point out the instances in your life? And if you feel like you can't, like, we are a family, so we want to help, help you figure that out. Not just in tangible ways, but we'd love to have conversations with people. We'd want to be able to uh, talk through some of the things that we've walked through. And we want to be able to just help you experience the love of Jesus. Uh, if you feel like you're unworthy, you're not because he has already made you worthy. So we're going to be having this time of communion, and as we go through this whole time of communion, uh, I just want you to be asking yourself, uh, 
But who is Jesus to you? We can reflect on this question, we can think through instances in our life, but who is Jesus to you? Uh, so if you want, uh, and when you're ready, we have these little, little grape juice cups and a little wafer thing that you can come up and grab. But we're going to just take communion together, uh, and I'd love to just be able to lead you guys through that. So you are welcome to come up.